1: this is lighthouse faith podcast moving forward in truth and love i'm lauren green chief religion correspondent for fox news channel and author of the book lighthouse faith okay so do you believe ghosts exist? Is demonic possession real? Is spiritual evil on the prowl? And does it have anything to do with our presidential election? And we'll get to that later. But first, you know, Halloween is the season of ghosts and goblins, one of childhood's favorite events, dressing up as witches and warlocks and often all sorts of creepy things. And the best part, of course, is all that candy. Trick or treat is all for fun and merriment. But let's just say there's real spiritual evil lurking in this world, a darkness descending on us. You know, I kind of personally believe that Halloween is harmless fun, but only when you take the devil seriously. Halloween then is a sort of a mocking of Satan or saying, you know, you have no ultimate power here. And and here's the proof, because I'm going to make fun of you, um, because Satan is a liar and deceiver. Now, other people may disagree, but I, I happen to think that, you know, Halloween can be harmless only if you really understand uh, what evil is. Now, C.S. Lewis said in his book, The Screwtape Letters, that there are two ways of human, that human beings misjudge Satan, by assigning him too much power or too little. You know, they're opposites, but pose the same problem. And that is not understanding the true nature of evil and not having faith in God's omnipotence to deal with it. Uh, the Bible's whole narrative is about facing down evil, the evil that is in the world, as well as the evil that is within our own hearts. And the book of Ephesians has probably the most telling truth about evil and how it is to be faced. It says to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, to put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces, of evil in the heavenly realms. You know, Westerners have a problem with evil. You know, we try to assign material causes to it. It's psychological, sociological, or medical. Uh, It's not to say that those things are not real, but other countries like in Latin America, Africa, they don't have a problem with believing there is a spiritual force taking advantage and working through those material causes. They understand the reality of, of spiritual forces of evil. Well, in his new book, just uh, it's called Playing with Fire, a Modern Investigation into Demons, Exorcism, and Ghosts. Billy Hallowell found that while we in the West are declining in our belief in God and religion, there are still quite a few folks who believe that demons either probably or definitely exist, and quite a few also believe in ghosts and the presence of them in the world. And Billy Hallowell, an author and investigative and evangelistic journalist, he joins me now. Welcome, Billy. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, I'll tell you. Uh, I just want to say, I was reading your book, and it really did, <laughs> it did scare me quite a bit. Uh, I mean, even though I'm a person of faith, I, that that's, I don't give much thought to demonic possession. Um, and uh, boy, but I started thinking about it last night. You know? Yeah,
0: it kind of, you know, it, listen, it scared me. I, I had to actually pray on this project and say, is this something I even want to do? I spent two months, I mean, no joke, just sitting there and praying. And this was an opportunity that found me. It was not something I was really looking for. And that was the other part of it that kind of threw me off. And so <laughs> I've been a lifelong Christian and I've worked in media like you have. And I've often thought about these issues. I've sort of covered them here or there in individual cases. And I had a real fear Going into it which I now don't have Which is kind of interesting Uh, but after finishing The project I, I really was at peace Which might seem kind of strange (laughs)
1: Does it feel like you're sort of protected now against this demonic possession or the possibility of it?
0: Yeah, I mean, I basically realized that as Christians, we have authority over it and we don't need to fear it. But I think going into it for some reason, and I think it's just because of the way our culture handles it. And the fact that when you go through playing with fire and you look at the different stories, they they are scary. I mean, if you don't have that protection as a Christian, um, I think you should be afraid uh, potentially if you're opening yourself up to those things. Uh, But yeah, I, I just walked away really, I mean, I'll tell you this. I was never closer to God than in writing this. And after I've been keeping up with quiet time every day, I've just I just really went into it saying, look, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna spend my time investigating and looking at these cases, and what the Bible says about evil, I want to make sure I'm doing it on the right foot. And so that was the approach I took. And it really was actually a wonderful spiritual experience.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, the Bible really does talk about Evil, It really understands it. But I want to get to what everyone wants to hear about, which is demonic possession. Is it real?
0: The short answer is yes. And I think the most compelling reason as Christians, right, we look to Scripture and I can't actually think of an issue that's spoken about more in the New Testament and talked about less in churches than possession and um, exorcism and not all churches. I don't want to say that nobody's talking about it, but I actually think, um, and and you saw this looking through the book, but there are pastors who would say, look, I think Hollywood talks about it more than the church does. And that's really convicting because Hollywood is not talking about (laughs) it in the right way.
1: So well, that's true. I mean, I was listening to a sermon uh, this morning, basically on the idea of evil. And it says, you know, unless Westerners see, uh, see someone turning green and their head spinning around and throwing <laughs> up, you know, pea juice, uh, they won't say that's they, you know, say, well, they, they don't know what devil possession really is, you know.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, and that's the thing. So so yes, it's real and the thing that's so crazy, you know, culture is becoming so secular and we're so materialistic, we're obsessed with the material and there's a real danger in that. This is something that is real. We see Jesus healing people repeatedly and these very dramatic possession and exorcism stories throughout the New Testament. And yet here we are, we're acting as though this went away and it wasn't just Jesus. We see Paul dealing with this in Acts. It's a very real part of scripture. And then, you know, you confront these real life stories, which for me was the most eye opening part of this, you know, interviewing people and almost expecting them to say, Oh no, that was a lie. This person didn't go through that or, Oh, here are the holes I could poke in that. And yet you don't encounter that you encounter people who are saying, no, these things really happened.
1: Yeah. And that was the scary part about reading the book because I kept waiting to hear the sort of You know, psychological explanation or the common sense explanation of why these things happen. And the first one you bring out, because you basically have three really powerful stories in the beginning, is a story of a a boy named Robbie. And this is the story that the Exorcist movie actually was based on. Uh, What's the story of Robbie?
0: Yeah, people don't know about this story either, which is so interesting. But Robbie was this little boy in the 1940s who um, had an aunt, the way the story goes, and his aunt uh, was apparently into the occult and she had introduced him to the Ouija board. And so his aunt passes away and after her death, there starts to be strange things in the home. Um, They're hearing the bed move around. They're hearing furniture move. I mean, these are the claims from the family. The most eerie thing about Robbie is that we don't know his actual identity, that this particular case the Catholic Church handled, and they kept it under wraps. And to this day, uh, we know that he's still alive. He's very old. Um, he's elderly, but he went on to have a family and he went on to be healed. But basically this ordeal for this teenager was very dramatic and his family took him to get help. They took him to doctors and hospitals. He started exhibiting um, symptoms of possession, which also, of course, um, some would assume was maybe a mental health issue. So they were getting him checked for that. Um, and and he ends up um, going to St. Louis and he ends up working with these priests and they kept a journal of what unfolded. And the crazy thing about this story, um, and and actually there's another story very similar to this in the book. This Mm -hmm. was a story that we never should have known about, right? He went through this horrific ordeal. He was eventually healed after a series of exorcisms, but somebody leaked the story to the Washington Post. And that's something for me, just as a journalist, um, the fact that media outlets were covering these things back then, and they were covering the healing, like this little boy was healed, right? And had that story never been published, the author of The Exorcist, which of course was a novel and it was based on this story, would have never been published and the movie never would have happened. But um, that's sort of a 30,000 foot view. But this little boy went through some unbelievable things. The priests reported seeing words appear on his body. They were, I mean, things that seem Ooh. unbelievable, right? I mean, they don't seem like they could possibly happen. But yet, but yet we have, they have documentation claiming that they saw these things and when those priests, before they died, they've all they've all now passed on, they they spoke out about this, saying we really wish this case would have never made mainstream. We wish we didn't have to talk about this because it was such a private ordeal. Which, as a I don't know about you, but as a journalist, that always brings credence um, to me to a story when people are hesitant to talk. Um, there's yeah, just something yeah. about that, you know, for me.
1: Uh, and then the other story actually is much more recent: the um, Ammon story. Uh, yes this is this is wild too this is that you know when you're getting like police officers and social service people saying some very witnessing some very strange things that begins to get weird
0: very weird and it's particularly what's so unique about that case and we found out about that case in 2014 again a reporter, and what was unique about this, it was the Indianapolis Star, she did this amazing story, this reporter, on this, and she had documentation. It's so rare. Here we are talking about the exorcist story. That was in the 1940s. We don't have a lot of documentation outside of the journal that was kept. Here we have a story where numerous people who were involved, you know, they're coming out and saying, we saw these things. So I spoke with the priest who handled that case, and he's interviewed in Playing With Fire. I spoke with a sheriff who handled that case, and I want to just recount one part of this story. And this is the part that people will laugh at because it's the most unbelievable. But it's sort of the the centerpiece of it, because when when this family and it was a mother, her mother, so a mom, a grandma mm-hmm. and three kids claiming that they were experiencing possession. And of course, government officials, they find out about this because the kids are at a doctor's office. They start acting crazy. They call 911 and then child services gets involved. They're at a hospital and the children are acting erratic. They're acting insane. And there is a child services worker and a nurse. And this is really important because both of these people claim they saw this. And not only do they claim they saw it, they filed official government paperwork recounting (laughs) uh, that what they saw was the little boy. And I pause when I say this because it it's so unbelievable and it sounds almost ridiculous. They watched the little boy walk up the side of the wall in this room and essentially somersault down and land on his feet and they ran out of the room they get the doctor they bring the doctor in and this is all recounted in in the media accounts of this and the people who saw it have spoken out and they've said this is what we saw we saw this little boy do this and with this particular story one of the things that's so crazy is that the child services worker who observed that left her job and left the state after Um, it had such a profound effect on her life. And I was not able to reach her. I had tried to reach her, but I did talk with the sheriff who, who interacted. And so again, you have a sheriff who's very skeptical. He goes into this thinking, this is ridiculous and walks out saying, Oh my goodness, something is happening here that we cannot explain.
1: Wow. I want to get to another one real, uh, because I think this is, that's the one that actually, talks about places and how mm. that can be so um, – there can be spiritual evil in the place. Um, we're going to get back to that in just a second. Um, we'll, uh, we're going to take a break right now on Lighthouse Faith Podcast with Billy Hallowell, and we'll be right back with more. It's time
0: to take the quiz.
1: Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at the quiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at the quiz.fox. Okay, we're back at Lighthouse Faith Podcast talking with Billy Halliwell, who is the author of a new book called Playing with Fire, a modern investigation into demons, exorcism and ghosts. And Billy, the story of um, a politician named Cranmer, and I just wrote down Cranmer, really blew me away because he actually bought a house um, that had some kind of investation in it. And this was another form of a demon possession. Explain what was going on in this house
0: yeah, you know I first encountered Bob Cranmer um, when I was working at the Blaze. Um somebody actually tipped me off that this is a guy who was a an elected official, um and he was somebody who was respected in the community in Pennsylvania. And yet, he had had this thing going on in his home. And I was very skeptical. I went into this story and I and I have revisited it in Playing With Fire. Um, but basically his claim was that things started happening inside this home. And it was crazy because this was his dream home. Like as a kid, he would pass it. And this guy want to buy that house eventually. And so he gets to buy the house. He moves in with his family. And it started out very small. They started having these strange occurrences unfold, just little things, right? And then as time went on, much broader and bigger things were happening. His his children were affected, the way that they were dressing and acting, they were experiencing some, some things that we would attribute to mental health, depression, things like that mm-hmm. um, generally. And so the situation just gets entirely out of control. They start having a substance, this red substance streaming down the walls of their house and they oh. couldn't find a source for it. Um, they started, feel they basically called in the Catholic church. They went to everybody. They were like, please come and help us. This house is out of control. It was like basically out of a, a haunting horror movie, right? And so they start holding mass and in service inside the house. And after a two year period of trying to heal the house, they're able to heal it. Um, and there's so many different elements. I mean, I'm giving such a baseline overview. The story yeah, is yeah. absolutely insane. Um, and, and so what he finds out, though, in investigating this house is, is, is something called infestation. So we talk about possession, infestation has to do with a place. And so he believes his house was infested with demonic presence due to activities that happened in the home. And so one of the things that I found interesting talking with experts about this topic, pastors and and deliverance ministers, is that it's not just about people. If something traumatic has happened in a place or, you know, if a place, in fact, the example of a drug deal—if there are a lot of drug deals that go down in a specific location—that that attracts the demonic, right? Um, mm-hmm. Now that's mm-hmm. interesting as a journalist. As a journalist, I'm listening to that and I'm like, okay. So what went on in Bob Cranmer's house? That was my question initially when I first interviewed him. Mm-hmm. And it turns out there was an, an illegal abortion doctor who was working in like the 1920s inside the home uh, performing procedures. There was also a murder. Legend had it that there was a murder that happened. And so Bob went out and found a company um, to go and look underground. And they purportedly found evidence of, of a graveyard in in at the home. So there were all these things that he believes contributed to what was happening in wow. the home. Now, now, one of the other details that really made the hair on my arm stand up was... That they would play the Passion of the Christ on loop, and mm-hmm. they would—they had a specific room where a lot of this was happening in the house, and they would play it, and they would come home, and the DVD would be thrown out of the DVD player. Like, oh my gosh! Just be, I know it's oh just—I know—and they would—and they would just keep playing the movie over and over again to try to to try to torment whatever this was to get it out of the house. Now, to this day, he still owns the home. Um, so yeah, it's just—it's another one of those crazy stories. Now, I have to tell you. I was very skeptical, and so I went to the people he told me helped. I called the diocese, and people were hesitant to talk again, uh, and that was very interesting. But I wow. couldn't find one person to refute his claims. By the way, wow. that I talked with, and that was just mind blowing.
1: Well, this is the, we have to go into like what the Bible actually says about evil. Um, you know, y- y- you know, like I brought out Ephesians six, and that's kind of where a lot of this. Uh, understanding of spiritual evil, that behind so much of of the evil deeds is spiritual evil. So expand more about what the Bible says um, about evil.
0: Yeah, I mean this is there's so much mystery here, but the place that I started, you know, as I was going through, I had ne- I've read the Bible like you have and uh, many times, but I've never isolated out the evil parts, right? Like I want to mm-hmm. understand what does scripture tell me about Satan? And that was the first place I went because you know, I think as Christians we sometimes will look at scripture and we're like, okay, we know Satan's bad, we know he's no good. We we get that, but what are the actual words that are used to describe him? And when you start to go through that, you get a very intriguing sense of what type of entity Satan really is. He's described as an enemy, a tempter, a deceiver, um, an accuser. We're told that he prowls around like a roaring lion. And so you start to get this sense of, okay, wow i mean this this the diabolical nature of trying to confuse people of leading the whole world astray i think that's what we get in in revelation that's the description we get and you look out at the world and you look at what's going on and you start to piece this together and then you start to look at what is happening in, you know, in scripture, I mean, all these stories of, of possession where people are coming to Jesus and they're looking for healing and they are desperate. And sometimes it's the parents of children. There are two instances and they're desperate. And you start to look at those stories. And what is so remarkable is that the things that we're describing in these stories of alleged possession that have happened in the modern era are very similar to the things that we see happening in scripture to the people who are afflicted by the demonic. And so really what's so interesting about Ephesians six, and I'm so glad you brought that up because I've read Ephesians six a million times, but when I was writing this book, And I and I looked at it and I isolated verses, I think, nine to thirteen. And you look at that and you say, Oh my goodness, like we're sitting here having battles right now between people, right? Where it's this group and that group. And yet scripture is telling us there is something else going on that you are not seeing, and it is spiritual, and that there's a real battle. And I think There's a tendency among Christians to sometimes focus so much on that spiritual battle, um, and then other Christians don't focus on it at all. And there's these two extremes, but yet what we're told there is to take up the shield of faith, right? And that's what protects us, having faith and being, you know, that's what protects us from that battle. And it's such a simple truth that's so overlooked, I think.
1: Yeah, you know, one of the things that uh, is very apparent about evil, and I think this is why it's really good to bring up in this kind of context, is that most evil is actually quite subtle. I mean, mm-hmm. y- you don't have to have full demonic possession and haunting of houses to make people do the devil's work. Uh, no. Most of us do it willingly, if not enthusiastically, because yeah. we've mistaken evil for good, or we've mistaken, you know, um, you know, sin for, uh, you know, I'm just, you know, trying to, you know, the, the, the ends justify the means kinds of things like that. I mean, I think that's really where where the devil does his best work. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. one of the things that I wanted to read uh, is out of your book, but you quote Dr. Michael Brown, which I think is because uh, he talks about uh, Satan. He says there's nothing good about him um, and his goal is to destroy human beings. His goal is to defile the name of God. His goal is to present us something that looks so good, but in the end, um, is absolute death. He is associated yeah. with everything on the wrong side, and with darkness, with death, with evil, with hatred, with lies, with violence. This is who he is. This is what motivates him and moves him. And and I think that's where our culture is so missing and so not understanding what's going on in this world.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, that I loved that quote because it so perfectly summarized those good intentions, right? Like what you were just describing. I think people sometimes think they're doing the right thing. I was just talking to somebody yesterday who they've had a hard time after the death of a loved one and they've been seeking out a medium, right? They've been going to a medium for help. And um, she's a good friend. She came to me and, and was talking to me about it. And I was telling her, okay, um, I would not be doing that. I would avoid that if I were you. And we were having a conversation about it, but you know, th- there's, it's like, well, it makes me feel good. And you know, I'm getting the the peace that I need. And I think there's so much about evil that draws us in and then there's a point where there there's sort of a point where that you know metastasizes and we're we're also told in in scripture that you know our minds are eventually given over to the things that we you know allow into our lives and so it's um it's it's such an important reality for us to talk about because I think we we want to avoid it because it freaks us out because we don't see it, right? We don't mm-hmm. always physically see it. We see the effect of evil in the world, but you know, there's there's school shootings and other events where we say, okay, what happened there was so evil that I have to admit that that evil exists, right? But in our day-to-day, it's so easy to just, you know, focus only on the positive parts of scripture, right? Only on, right, right. which are the most, listen, it, Jesus dying for our sins. That's the most important piece of it. But I would argue that when we understand evil, not, not obsess over it, not f- over fixate on it, but when we understand it, it actually points us back toward the need for grace. And that was one of the biggest takeaways from this project for me.
1: Yeah. Um, absolutely. Uh, I mean, if, if, I mean if, if anything would drive me to more scripture and more, uh, reading of scripture is just understanding the level of evil that is out there. And to be reminded of that, you know, one of the things that I, I was reading, I was listening to a, a sermon um, by Dr. Tim Keller on the uh, idea of evil. And he said, you know, open a piano and sing one note into the piano. And being a musician, I understand this, you know, from a, from the uh, element of over the overtone series and, 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 The vibratory nature of of music, says, sing into the piano, and the and the string that is that voice that note will will resonate. It will actually resonate back, and that's just the nature of of the vibratory nature of music. And he says that's how evil works. Whatever you are kind of prone to, that evil will take advantage of that and simply Mm -hmm. just build it up. So there's a spiritual evil that understands and knows you and understands your weaknesses and then will work through that.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that, I mean, what's been really interesting too to me is to hear from people who are hearing interviews that I'm doing or, you know, because listen, you don't – you don't want to be known as the weird book person, right? And <laughs> so I think for me, and I've written on a lot of tough topics. I did a book on the end times, you know, but that for me, I don't really care what people think, but at the same time, there that's human nature. You don't want to be that person. But yet here, I've actually encountered so many amazing conversations like this one where people are like, listen, we need, it's strange to not be talking about these things, because what you just described is exactly what most people face. I think there's this sense that, you know, we talk about possession and it's this strange thing and it's very rare actual possession, the examples that we're talking about, they exist, they happen, they're rare. But what's not rare is what you just described, which is oppression, which is um, having that sort of influence of evil that tries to get us just subtly over time to move away from God, to put our faith in something else, whether that's whatever our struggle is, whether that's whatever it is, right, that isn't God. And that, for me, was also very eye-opening to think that there is – again, this battle we're not seeing and that we're in the midst of it, whether we like it or not, whether we want to believe it or not, it's happening. And, um, these more palpable real examples of, you know, possession that we see, they do point us back to that. They do help us understand that. But I think we have to think so much deeper and understand that there's a much more pervasive yet almost, it almost flies under the radar sense of evil that is unfolding.
1: Yeah, it's like, you know, the third rail of, a, uh, uh, of the train track or the subway track. Mm. Your, last, your last chapter in the book is about spiritual impact on the culture. And I, I can't help but bring up the presidential election. If there's a more divisive election, uh, presidential election, um, I have not seen one than, than what's happening today. W- yeah. Just your mm. thoughts on what's happening spiritually with this election.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's so much happening spiritually, I think. It's so easy to—and again, you go back to Ephesians 6, right, this battle over— the, the battle is not between people. It's not between it's not over flesh and blood. And yet that's how we're all communicating. Um I think there's there's a lot going on on very important issues. I think that there's a lot of blindness that goes on. I, you know, for me personally, and I've always been open about this, the life issue is really big. Um, but but so is civility and the way that we communicate with each other and the fact that it's so toxic it's so awful you can almost feel how evil it is I mean think about even if you're a non-believer and you're listening to this right think about everything that has gone on in politics it is it is sort of like you talk about a basket of deplorables that's what this is it's attracting every single, bit of evil and vitriol and hatred all of the things when you go back to those characteristics of satan right Mm -hmm. um of being a deceiver of just all of that of leading people astray we're seeing that in politics and and in the way that we interact with one another that if you don't agree you're evil and my battle is with you and it's like well no your battle is with something much bigger that doesn't mean don't have an opinion that doesn't mean don't go out and and vote that's not what i'm saying but i am what i am saying is i think we need to really check ourselves and to make sure that we're putting our faith first and that a political party is not bonded to our faith. There may be a political party that is, you know, the lesser of two evils, or maybe it has better ideas than the other one. Uh, But I think it's just, it's so sad to watch what is happening. And I have to be honest, I mean, politics have always been rough, but this disconnect from faith that we have going on, you know, a lower proportion of people saying they believe in God. And we're see- we're seeing this manifest itself in so many different ways. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I watch people, the way they react after an electoral loss, it's as though they've lost their God. I mean, it's it's this-
1: Right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think that you make a great point and you can talk more about this. I'm sure this is what you're talking about is that as we've seen, you know, especially millennials have lo- lost their faith. Uh, many are, you know, they don't identify with any faith, uh, certainly not Christianity and yet they do they they're they're blind to the fact that they're putting their faith in something something has to be their foundational trust and so if you believe that your your wealth or your gender identity or your racial identity is your fundamental trust and that's the thing that 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 saves you or that gives you an identity then that's going to cause you To think that your political uh, choice is the thing that's going to save you because they're going to stand for you uh, instead of saying that, you know, no, my identity is in God. My identity is in the one who has created heaven and earth. And that, first of all, is what saves me.
0: A hundred percent. And those are all the things that divide us. Right. And, and we think, okay. And we know, I mean, we're told this in scripture. The only thing we can count on, you know, is Jesus. God is the only baseline of what we can count on, but we have an entire culture right now. I mean, it's not just politics, the opioid rate, the addiction rate, the suicide rate. I mean, my goodness, We have a world, and there's so many elements. Obviously, I don't want to oversimplify what's going on there, but we know that the rate is through the roof. We know that all of these things can almost be charted and graphed, and you can look at our decision as a culture to say we're going to detach and move away from the things that have been at our baseline, and we are going to say – you know, relativism wins and and relativism isn't even a real construct. Everybody has a line at which they're going to draw and say, okay, I don't support that. Right. It just depends on where your line is. And I think right. I just, we, we have got to get back to what is most important. And I think as Christians, when we talk about politics, you know, I don't want my politics to be I want to stand for truth, but I don't want my politics to be a turnoff for other people. Right. I don't want to be a step, you know, not a stepping stone, I guess a blockade for somebody finding Christ because of the way I'm behaving politically. And so there's, I think, there's a real responsibility on all of us because if if I'm Satan and I'm the demonic, I'm going to seize on this opportunity to kill, destroy, and divide. And that's, I think, that's what we're watching happen before us right now. Yeah,
1: and on every level, and it doesn't just happen with the most extreme cases, like in, in, like you're t- like you're talking about. In your book talks about in demon possession. It really happens in the most subtle, subtle ways. That um, you know, it was brought out in the screw tape letters, obviously. At, but it's just the subtlety of it all, the normalcy of it all. Uh, I think that was what should scare us um, uh, more than anything. And um, I just want to reiterate what the book is called, uh, called Playing with Fire, a modern investigation into demons, exorcism, and ghosts. Uh, Billy, thank you so much um, for being here on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. This is, you know, quite uh, quite eye-opening um, and uh, certainly... Uh, We'll, we'll have a lot of people running to their Bibles.
0: Well, thank you. And I hope that's the goal. I just, I want people to, I want to start a conversation about it and I want us to feel comfortable having that conversation. Even if people disagree and I don't really tell you what to think in the book, I give you the information and that that's my goal here. So I really appreciate you having me on.
1: I think one of the things I want to leave people with though is that to understand the purpose of evil, pur- purpose of God's wrath is really not to you know put a cudgel over us and saying you know y- you do this or you're going to go to hell it's really god has this incredible compassion and love for us and his goal is for us to be redeemed and saved mm, absolutely to, to be brought closer to him and so to, to, if that is the understanding of 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 what god is about that should nullify and neutralize the evil that is out there in this world at least understanding's like you know Um, I don't know the haunting. I don't know how hauntings happen, but I do know that there are, that could be that a soul that is not at peace, Mm. you know, and that needs to be reconciled to God. And maybe Mm. that's it. I don't know. I'm not an expert on this field and you've done the research, but, uh, that would be my take, I guess. I mean, I have I would- have
0: some ghost chapter. I have a chapter on ghosts in there too. Yeah, that was a really hard section to write because a lot of the people I talked with were like, no, you're not dealing with dead people. You're dealing with demonic always. And that's an interesting theory, but we can't know for sure, right? But we, yeah. do, we can know that we know we're dealing with something. We know this is real. And we know that at the end of the day, this can point us back and should point us right back towards our need for grace.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Billy, thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. Thank you. And thank you all for, for listening to Lighthouse Faith Podcast. I'm Lauren Green. Have a blessed day. Pull
0: up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime Membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.